Thank you, Jordan, and thank you for your presence tonight. We're grateful that you're here. Uh, let me just very quickly pitch once again the great day coming up August 13th. We're going to be having our regular services uh, Sunday morning, Sunday evening. Sunday evening, however, the young men will be speaking, and so I'm not sure who, who the speakers are going to be at this point in time, but I know that you'll want to be here to encourage them. The theme of our day is taking up the cross, and I know you'll want to be a part of that. And We would love to fill this building, and so I would encourage you to invite your friends and family members, your neighbors, classmates, get them to come. We'd love to have a building full of people. Again, that's August the 13th, and uh, especially mark down Sunday evening, because we'd love to have a great number of folks here to support our young men. And we have a great group of young men and young ladies. We appreciate so much what they mean to the church here. I mentioned this morning that they're going to be beginning school again this week. And then we've got some that will be going to college very soon, and so we want to keep them in our prayers. We hope and pray that this is a great year and that they are very successful. One other thing I wanted to just mention very quickly, that Isaiah is going to be graduating from uh, the police academy Wednesday. And so our thoughts and prayers are with Isaiah and his family, and we hope and pray that God will bless him and keep him safe in his efforts to protect those of us who live in this community. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 14 tonight in our study. I want you to think with me for a moment or two about Jesus as he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and fervently prays about the impending cross before him. I want to begin by stressing Gethsemane was a place of prayer. Listen, if you would, to what Mark tells us, beginning in verse 32, Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. You ever wondered what was on the minds of Peter, James, and John as they entered the Garden of Gethsemane? I think we know what was on the mind of Jesus. And Jesus, no doubt, looked for their support in this hour of crisis. Mark said that Jesus went to Gethsemane to pray. Jesus himself said, sit here while I pray. When I read the biographical sketches of the life of Jesus, one of the things that stands out is the regularity of his prayer life. Jesus was a man of prayer long before the cross, wasn't he? You can go back and read in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Jesus prayed early, didn't he? Do you remember in Mark 1, verse 35, Mark said that Jesus arose very early in the morning and went out to a solitary place and there prayed. Do you think it's possible that Jesus spent quality time in devotion to the Father, praying? I think that all of us ought to have times during our day that we set aside to pray to God, shouldn't we? Jesus made it a point to pray. And so, as we live the Christian life, 
we need to arm ourselves with prayer, and we need that quality time of devotion with the Father. So Jesus prayed early. The Bible also says Jesus prayed late, didn't He? Do you remember in Luke chapter 6, before Jesus selected the apostles, and here were men that would be ambassadors for the gospel of Christ. It would be these men in whom the gospel would reside. They would be the earthen vessels. The Holy Spirit would inspire many of these men to record for us what we call the New Testament. And so Jesus prayed all night prior to selecting the apostles, which says to me that when we have decisions to make in life, what should we do? Pray. Spend time in prayer to God before we make those pivotal decisions in life. Sometimes the decisions we make are no-brainers, but then there are times when they're quite perplexing. And it might be that we need to give a lot of time and thought and consideration. We need to meditate and pray over the situation at hand. So Jesus prayed early. He prayed late. Jesus prayed often. The Bible says in Luke chapter 5 that Jesus withdrew into the wilderness. The translators insert the word often. And I think when you look at the life of Jesus and you think about his prayer life, it's obvious that the Lord Jesus spent a lot of time in prayer to the Father, didn't he? Paul would say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that we as Christians ought to pray without ceasing. In Colossians chapter 4, he would say, Continue steadfastly in prayer, watching therein with thanksgiving. And Jesus said, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. The Lord also said in Luke chapter 18 verse 1 that men ought to always pray and not faint, not become discouraged. The cross looming before Jesus. And what did He do? He prayed, didn't He? So I think about the regularity with which Jesus prayed before the cross. But then what about the reason why he prayed before the cross? Well, I think we know why Jesus prayed before the cross. And there's a passage of Scripture that comes to mind, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. The Hebrew writer said, Speaking of Christ, who in the days of his flesh offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. And the Bible says, and he was heard in that he feared. The weight of the world was on the shoulders of Jesus, and we're going to talk about the weight of the cross in a moment. But the redemptive plan of God, and you think about this redemptive plan of God was in place before the foundation of the world. John said in the book of Revelation in chapter 13, Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. God had this planned in mind. He articulated it through the prophets and through those Old Testament messengers. And they're all pointing to the coming of Christ. And then you come to Matthew and you find the Christ, the King, has come, the Messiah, the Anointed One. And so the redemptive plan of God is now resting on the shoulders of one man. That's Jesus. And so... Listen again to what Mark said. Jesus began to be troubled and deeply distressed. So first, Gethsemane was a place 
of prayer. Secondly, Gethsemane was a place of purpose. I mentioned just a moment ago the weight of the cross. And the fact that Mark said Jesus began to be troubled and deeply distressed. The whole redemptive plan of God is resting upon the shoulders of Jesus. Now, you can go back and you can read the Old Testament. You can look at the New Testament. And what you'll find is that God was the architect of this redemptive plan, wasn't he? God was the architect. Jesus, however, was the agent by which this plan was executed. And so Jesus is the one that made it happen. He brought it to fruition. Do you remember Jesus would say, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me? Do you remember Jesus would say in Luke chapter 19 that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost? So what about the weight of the cross? The anxieties of the cross before Him. There were some things that were going to happen on that cross that no doubt brought about the distress, the anxiety, the trouble, as Mark says, to the mind of Jesus. First, I think about the suffering. Now, there's no doubt in my mind, there's no doubt I suspect in the minds of all of us who are here tonight, that Jesus suffered immensely on that cross, didn't He? Do you remember the Apostle Peter said that Christ has also once suffered for sins? And here's what he said, the just for the unjust. Jesus was the just one. We, as members of the human family, we are unjust. And Jesus, as the Hebrew writer would say many, many years ago, was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens. And Jesus Christ willingly laid down His life for our sins, but He suffered immensely on the cross. And prior to the cross, the trial, Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 2, that Christ also left us an example that we should follow in His steps, who did no sin, neither was guile or deceit found in His mouth. And Peter said, who when He was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself unto him who judges righteously. Peter said, who himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. And so here is Jesus with the weight of humanity, the redemptive plan of God resting upon his shoulders, knowing that he's going to suffer immensely. And did he suffer? Yes, he did. You can go back and read, for example, the book of Matthew. Jesus was scourged, wasn't he? The scourge was enough to kill a man. And they would literally flay a person when they were scourged. John says that Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. The amount of blood that he would have lost during that ordeal... I would imagine would have been quite significant. The Bible says that they slapped him. They hit him in the face. They spat upon him. And then they crucified him. Luke said when they came to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the soldiers, one on the, or rather the thieves, one on the right hand and the other on the left. 
So did Jesus suffer? Yes, he did. And what about the shame associated with the cross? Bear in mind, we're not just talking about any man. We're talking about the Son of God, aren't we? And Jesus was the agent by which the world was made. That's what John said. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Paul said he made those things that are visible and invisible. So here is the creator of the world, the one that spoke this world into existence, the one that made man in his own image and likeness. And he is suffering the shame of the cross, isn't it? The insults, the taunts, those who spat upon him. Paul would say in Galatians chapter 3, in verse 13, that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Why? Because he himself has been made a curse for us. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus willingly went to the cross. He suffered the shame of sin for us. And then the separation. Do you remember when Jesus, while on the cross, cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus Christ had enjoyed glory with the Father from time eternal. And now Jesus is bearing the weight of sin. He is bearing our sins in his body on the cross. The separation that occurred, the darkness that covered the land, the scourge of sin. And so first, the weight of the cross, but then secondly, the worth of the cross. Was the cross worth it to Jesus? How would you answer that? Well, let me ask this question. Were you worth the cross? Were you worth it? It's one thing to talk about somebody else. But when you begin to talk about self, that's a different story, isn't it? So really the question is, were you worth the cross? Let me tell you what, Jesus valued your soul. Did you know that? Jesus valued your soul. There's not a soul that has ever walked the face of this earth. There's never been a soul on planet earth that Jesus didn't say, this is valuable. Everybody is valuable to Almighty God. We're all valuable in His eyes. So you, say, you ask the question, well, how do I know? Well, do you remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 8? If God spared not His own Son... You think about the gift of God and then the fact that Jesus would say greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus placed an intrinsic value on our soul. Paul said, speaking of Christ, that he loved me and gave himself for me. That's personal, isn't it? And profound. Paul understood that Jesus loved him individually. If you had asked Paul, Paul, do you think the Lord valued your soul? You know what he would have said? You better believe I do. 
Well, how can you prove it? He went to the cross, didn't he? What was it Paul said? God commends his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ did what? He died for whom? For us. Paul included himself in that statement, didn't he? Christ died for us. So Jesus valued your soul. He values your soul today. There's a second thing. Jesus not only values your soul, but he has a vision for your soul. What is that vision? His vision is that you might be saved. Now you think about the gift that has been given to the human family. What was it Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. To think that God was willing to give his Son for our sins. And God's desire is that all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. In other words, God wants you to be saved. He wants all people to be saved. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter said that God is not willing that any should perish. And I would underline that word, any. There's not a single solitary soul that God wants to, be, that God wants to see lost. Obviously, the choice is ours. But God's desire is that we would be saved. That we would come to understand the truth of God, the truth that sets us free, John 8, 32. That we would obey the gospel, enjoying liberation from sin, and live a faithful life for Him. So, in that light, listen if you would, verse 34. Jesus said, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready. The flesh is weak. Again he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to answer. Then he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? So there's this tremendous struggle going on internally in the mind of Jesus. And here is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, bowing in the presence of the Father, pouring out his heart to God in full recognition that he is about to be the sin offering for the human family. So now think with me if you would, Gethsemane was a place of priority, wasn't it? There was a sense of priority here. And when I think about the priority, and I look at this text, I think about Jesus leaving the garden with purpose. Jesus left the garden with a sense of purpose, didn't he? In other words, he left the garden 
in an effort to, number one, fulfill the will of God and please the Father. In John chapter 8, in verse 29, Jesus said about the Father, I always do those things that please Him. Do you remember God the Father said of Jesus when He was baptized, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Remember that? During the earthly ministry of Jesus, the Lord would say, Look, I'm always doing those things that are in harmony with His will. Matter of fact, you look at the life of Jesus and you'll see that His will and God's will were the same, weren't they? And so Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying to the Father, understanding His purpose and His intent to please the Father. But there was another intent, and that was to pardon the human family. We think about pleasing the Heavenly Father, but pardoning the human family. That was what would ultimately result in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Do you remember in Hebrews chapter 12? Sometimes we talk about the pain and the heartache, the shame, the suffering, the separation, and all of the things that took place on the cross. But the flip side of it is, when Jesus went to the cross, He did so, as the Hebrew writer said, with joy. Why? Because He understood that by going to the cross, He would affect redemption for us. In other words, we could be forgiven people. You go back to the Old Covenant. Really, you could, you could go back to the patriarchal period. And you could look at the lives of Adam and Eve, and you think about the sin that took place in the garden. Sacrifice was made, wasn't it? Genesis chapter 4, we have the sacrifices of Cain and Abel. Abel, of course, offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice, a bloody sacrifice, an animal sacrifice. All the animals that were slain under the period of the patriarchs. And then the Mosaic dispensation. And again, all of the animal sacrifices that were offered over and over and over again. On the great day of atonement, they would take a goat that goat would be slain. The high priest would offer that goat. Then they would take another goat, a goat that was called the scapegoat. He would confess the sins of the people on the head of that goat. And then he would send that goat out into the wilderness by the hand of a fit man, signifying the removal of sin from the camp, so to speak. Well, when Jesus went to the cross, he did what? no animal sacrifices could ever do. And that is, bring about atonement for sin. The Hebrew writer said, in those sacrifices there is a remembrance of sin every year. He said, it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats can take away sins. But Jesus, Jesus made it all possible, didn't he? And so Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, in Him, that is in Christ, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. So yes, we can be forgiven. And so I think about His purpose, but then, note if you would, His poise. Listen now in verse 41. Jesus said, The hour has come. Behold, 
The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Jesus was conscious of the hour before him. Did you know that? Jesus would say back in John chapter 12, Father, save me from this hour. He said, for this hour I have come. He came for the purpose of doing what? Redeeming us, didn't he? So we talk about the poise of Jesus, his purpose and his poise, and the fact that he was absolutely conscious of what he was doing. He was mindful that when he went to the cross, it would bring about redemption for the human family. So he was conscious of the hour before him, and he had a sense of conviction about the hour before him. Look, Jesus knew that he was, he was about to be betrayed by Judas Iscariot, one of his own. That he would be sold out, as we say. And so in verse 42, listen to what he said. Rise up, let us go. He said, see, my betrayer is at hand. Sometimes we ask the question, are you all in? Well, let me tell you what. If you had asked Jesus at this point in time, are you all in? You know what he would have said? You better believe I'm all in. I've always been all in, but I'm in. And Jesus went to the cross. He knew exactly what was before him. He understood the tremendous weight of the cross, and yet he willingly, submissively, and humbly died for us, didn't he? So when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, Paul could say, look, Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. And he was buried. And he was raised again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power by the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. So Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died, rose again, and thus we have hope today, don't we? Hopefully and prayerfully next week we'll look at the cross. But you think about the hour. The hour was late. And Jesus knew his time had come. He went to the garden with us in mind. Because ultimately when he died, he did so for us, didn't he? It might be the case that you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. And you understand that Christ died for your sins, that God loves you, that God doesn't want you to perish, he doesn't want you to be lost, and that if you'll obey the gospel, you can be in fellowship with the Lord. You can enjoy the blessings of forgiveness. Whatever your sins might be, the Bible says God will no longer hold them against you. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. Their sins and their iniquities, he said, I'll remember no more. If you're here tonight and you need to respond to the invitation, we want to encourage you to do so. To be baptized into Christ so that all your sins can be washed away. There's no other way. And then to be faithful until death. Now, it might be that you're here tonight and you're not faithful. And you want to be back in fellowship with God and his people. And you need the prayers of the church. We would be happy to pray with you and for you. 
God will abundantly pardon. Won't you come as we stand and sing?